Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term Show, Nick and I sit down with Peter McCarroll. I hope I'm saying that properly, and uh, Peter's a great guy. He is born in New Zealand, and he ended up in Canada, then he ended up in the States, then he kind of ended up back in Canada. We go through the whole story. We talk about his student rental journey and get into the, the uh, living the life of a real estate investor as a student rental owner, so we get into all of uh, all of the pros and cons of student rentals, and uh, Peter is, a, is an accountant, so getting his perspective on some of this to me is really interesting. We talk about the concept of profit first, which is really important to Peter and he breaks it down and all the different businesses and people he deals deal with, how more people should be paying attention to this. We talk about grandma's envelopes. We talk about long, long-term thinking. So we get into it all on this uh, podcast. We share some stories that uh, Peter was giving, some, giving me some flashbacks to some of our early student rental ownership days. Um, so that's what we're doing on this podcast. And if you are listening to this and you want to become a Rockstar Inner Circle member, just like Peter, you can check out the Rockstar Inner Circle membership by visiting our website, rockstarinnercircle.com. You can track down everything we do there, including the details of the Rockstar Inner Circle membership, but you can also get access to reports that we put out, more uh, sorry, YouTube videos uh, that, we, that we share, more podcast episodes like this one are linked off that website, uh, free digital copies of our books. Basically, all the different information that we have available is available on that website for you. The reason we give away so much for free is we're hoping to give away some value like we were looking for early when we got started in real estate investing. And perhaps you'll see something of interest that you might work with us one day. And that's what we're trying to do. Give away a bunch of information. And perhaps some of you listening out there who we have never met before, because of this information, we will meet each other because we will be working together at some capacity in the future. And that's what's going on here at Rockstar. So if you are listening to this and you want some of that information, check out rockstarinnercircle.com. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Yeah, I talk about grandma's old... uh, old, uh, you know, uh, jar formula, you know, for budgeting. And it's, it's, it's yeah. different from grandma's old totally. jar formula. We're going to talk about the business. So we are live with Peter. I was going to say Carol, but Nick, I'm wrong. It's yes. Mick Carol or Mick Carol. Mick Carol. Can I say well, it? I, I don't know. That's no, Peter McCarroll. McCarroll. It's you're from New Zealand. What background is the last name? So we, we don't know. It's it's a Scottish um, Irish blend. blend. Okay, because yeah, he's rolling the R. Yeah, well, that's how I said it to him earlier. So the, the Mick is MC, which is traditionally an Irish, you know, form instead of Mac, which is the oh, Scottish got form. It. But the Carroll with the two it's R's. It's very Scottish the way the you're R. saying that. Oh. Yeah, so that's traditionally more Scottish. That's what I've been told. I have The story is boy meets girl, a Scottish boy, Irish girl or whatever, and the parents forbid them, forbade them to uh, to share, to use each other's last name because they couldn't be, you know, ever associate with the other race, the other, you know, um, nation. But so they blended their names together and that's how we got McCuddle. So whether that's true or not, I have no idea. Yeah, you could, you could, t- you could pick it up. You do it. Well, we have Scottish uncles. We're not close with that side of our family at all. 
role and um, for reasons that we don't have even time to discuss today, like every family. But one time, a, an uncle that maybe called us once called me. I answered <laughs> the phone. I had some friends over that could overhear the phone and he was pretty loud on the phone. And he said, Tome, is that you? And you know, and they, like they didn't understand what he was saying, and he was like, "Hey, Tommy, is is that you?" And uh, it's been a running joke with my friends ever since. Like that's something that they kind of scream out to me. But uh, it is a really unique accent. The Scottish is so different than the British, too. Yes. Um, but then you're born in New Zealand. Yes. Parents um, are, were born in New Zealand as well. Yep. Holy smokes, New Zealander who's here in Canada. Yes. And then why? Do, so can you tell us a little bit about your story? Like why? What? How did you get to Canada? Why did you leave? Canada why are you back in Canada what's like what what are you what's up with you yeah so um, I came to Canada Toronto in 1994 and I was uh, I want to speak a bit closer to the mic there yeah. no worries I was uh, working for Deloitte's uh, one of the big CA firms I'm a CA and uh, they sent me on what was supposed to be an 18 month assignment and uh, that lasted uh, 11 years well it took me 11 years to get back to New Zealand and my classic consulting organization. Well, classic. I was a, I was an auditor. Yeah, not 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 consulting. I was, oh, I was an auditor. Okay. Uh, and my standing joke to my friends back home was, "I'm going to Canada for 18 months. I'll be back in 18 months and one day, and I will not be dating." So when I finally returned, I left New Zealand with two suitcases and two boxes. I returned 11 years later with eight suitcases, a 20-foot container full of junk, and 3.3 girls. <laughs> 3.3 how does that math work um, a wife yeah two daughters yes and one that was a third on the way oh got it okay got it. <laughs> i managed piece of oh really i didn't know if it was a female i don't know if there was like a pet no. it was like a female no. pet or something like this got it i have three daughters and a son and uh, one was born in new jersey one was born in vancouver and the last two were born in the same hospital i was born in lower hut new zealand so you go back to New Zealand, but then you're back here now. Yes. So what's that about? Yeah. So we, we were in New Zealand for about eight years. Uh, we lived in the States for six years after we got married in 96. Whoa. And then Vancouver for three years and then New Zealand for eight years. You were in the States and you lived in New Jersey of all places? I lived in New Jersey. Yeah. That New was, Jersey that has was, a nice That spot. was number one choice? That was where the office was that I was sent uh -huh. to next. So... There's a nice no, spot. There is a nice spot. Oh, it's actually like, quite pretty. Yeah. Right? But Especially out of my list of places in the States, New Jersey probably wouldn't be number one. Like, oh, number I'm going to move there. I'm going to go to New Jersey. I figured there was another reason. Yeah. Yeah. Look, people think of Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. And yeah. they go, why would I want to be there? And I would agree. That's um, fair. But you get, out, you get out of that Newark, you know, sort of New York City you know, area and you get into suburbia, which is not bad most places, but then the further west and south you go, it's actually very farmland, very rural, you know, semi-rural. I used to drive, to, you know, 25 minutes to work, you know, and I'd take the back road through all the farms and it was beautiful. Huh. So they've all gone now. So yeah. why, why why are you back in? Tell me again. Why are you back in Canada? Yeah. So um, why are you back here? Why? Well, yeah. Why do, who let you back in? Yeah. Come on. I got to talk to somebody. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my, my wife is Canadian. Okay. So uh, so her, uh, her father died uh, about ten years ago, and then Mum started to get sick. Oh God. Okay. So we decided. So family family pulled. You yeah. Back. So so we decided she needed someone. She needed to be around people. And she needed someone to sort of monitor her and make sure she was okay. And my wife's got two brothers, um, but wasn't viable for them to do that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we actually made the decision to move back um, so that we could look after her. So we looked for a house that would be accommodating to, to for her to move in with us. And that she did that. She lived with us for about six years before she went into a, a nursing home. And she died last year. Oh, geez. 
Yeah. Would you ever, ever, did you ever consider moving her to New Zealand or no? Well, that wasn't an option. No. Too, too much hassle, too much work, too much. All her life was here. All her friends yeah. were here. Too unstabilizing. Yeah. Too unstabilizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not even sure they would have let her in. But, you know, just given her her health issues, uh, it's very unlikely that you that she would have been allowed to, you know to come to New Zealand as a permanent resident. And then you're a licensed accountant in Canada and New Zealand and New Zealand. Yes. So how do you get into the whole real estate world? Like what, what's that about? Uh, you were investing in New Zealand, I think, right? I did, yeah. So um, I, I read like m- many real estate investors, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Classic, and, of and course. That, that sort of you know, damn book pull, pulled us all in. Exactly, <laughs> pulled us all in. So I convinced my wife that we needed to, to to look at this, and so we ended up buying a property in New Zealand. It was a new build. Uh, we, we found a, a, a brokerage that specialized in uh, you know, professional uh, residential builds. And, and they built in, in newer neighborhoods and they recruited, you know, they wanted to recruit sort of more of your professional class tenants rather than your entry level tenants. So they didn't, you know, focus on the low end, they focused on the medium you know, side of, of the housing market. And so we built a house and we got tenants in and uh, initially that was managed by this property management company. Then they screwed up some stuff. So we took it over and managed that. And then we eventually sold that, um, hmm. you know, around shortly after we moved to Canada because we, we needed the capital out for our house here. Did you profit on that sale? Barely. D- does the New Zealand real estate market resemble the Canadian one at all or no? no? No. What are the population dynamics of New Zealand? Is it, is it a growing population? It is, yep. Okay. Uh, so it's about 5 million population now. When I was a boy, we always just say there were 3.3 million people and 90 million sheep. Mm, wow. Now, now it's more like 5 million people and 30 million sheep. Mm. So we've obviously That's why there's always these sheep jokes about That's New Zealand. a lot of sheep jokes. A lot of sheep yeah, jokes. Exactly. Especially if I meet an Aussie and a New Zealander and they're like sheep jokes flying back and forth. Yes, I don't know what's happening. Absolutely. Okay. Um, okay. So that's pretty decent population growth then. Yeah. I mean. And it's all immigration. Yeah. If, oh, got it. Yeah. yeah it makes well, sense. Mostly, well, mostly immigration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where's the immigration from there? Asian immigration, right? Is coming down to Australia, New Zealand? Is that correct? Yeah, so, no? so I would say, you know, like in the early days of New Zealand, it was all European. I mean, we, we, there's a native population, the Maori, uh, and then, you know, the white folk came and colonized the country and, you know, shipped people in, you know, mostly from Scotland, Ireland, and England, a um, little bit from the other European nations. Uh, and that was the longest time, just all the immigration there was. Then, of course, the railroads, the gold rush, you know, they mm-hmm. brought in Chinese people to build the railroads. Um, and now, our biggest, uh, New Zealand's biggest immigration is from China. Uh, Pacific Islands are big. You know, we have a close connection with Samoa and a lot of other you know, Pacific Island nations. Are they big? Because the, 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 the population, I just wouldn't expect, the, I didn't think the population of those islands would be large enough to have like an impact of, from an immigration standpoint someplace. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you remember New Zealand's a very small, small population. Already, yeah. So you, you, you get, you know, uh, 200,000 yeah, Samoans who have migrated to New Zealand, and I have no idea what the, the population sure. of yeah. New Zealand is. So yeah, but it has an impact, even yeah. Yeah, but it has an impact. Yeah, and so there's a there's a there's a good um, you know uh, multi ethnic, if you will. I mean, every culture from those Pacific Islands is a little different. It's quite fascinating. The Nuaeans are different. Mm-hmm, the Tokelauans sure. are different. You know, um, but you know they have a lot in common as well. Um, now a lot of it's coming from mainland China, um, and also other parts of Asia. Mm-hmm. as well and american billionaires building their bunkers in the middle of new zealand yes that's with right no Coming access by, to the rest of the world farmland, that's yeah right. yeah yes. um okay they're not allowed to do that now anymore so oh really yeah. is that a new thing there's, in new zealand a new land the new land laws so you get rid of the american billionaires it, building their bunkers yeah. it's harder for foreigners to buy property is it much harder hmm. yep where have I heard this story before? Um, and then what are the, the, I guess, the way of life or the thinking of a typical New Zealander compared of your friend group compared to people in Canada? What are the differences? Like, 
What makes Canadians different than New Zealanders in the way they think? Well, New Zealand has often been described as the land of duct tape and chicken wire. Okay. Okay. So we're very much DIYers and we are very much generalists. So there's, a, there's an old joke about um, a company that was working for a big American corporation and uh, they, they wanted to get the experts together. And so they called this New Zealand company to send their experts to this symposium where they all would sit down and talk about this problem. And, you know, this American company sent 15 people. You know, each person was an expert in one field. The New Zealand company sends one person person who was their expert because he knew the most about everything that anyone else did. And that was what was considered to be an expert because he could answer questions on numerous. So it sounds like a fun population. Everyone's uh, everyone's sharing their opinion. Everyone's an expert in everything. (laughs) Yes. Sounds good. Yes. Sounds good. Makes for some. Uh, some good conversations yeah. over drinks. A lot of small businesses as well. Once referred to as a land of shopkeepers, but huh. where that analogy comes from. Okay. But lots of small businesses. And the primary industry, other than the smaller shopkeepers, would be agriculture. Agriculture. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Agriculture is the primary export, I should say. Uh, so we, we're we're well known for our mm. lamb, obviously, with lamb, many sheep, wine. Um, also, I feel like dairy. I don't know if that's yep, a newer wine, thing. Dairy. Yep, wine, wine is very good. Uh, so that, uh, we'll, so the butter is good in New Zealand. Then that's fantastic. Yes. Oh, jeez. Can't get it here. No. Ugh. No. So yeah, Canada's, those are our main. Canada's exports. got great stuff, but our but butter, butter. Obviously, we've got a thriving film industry. Lord of the Rings, you know, mm. um, you know that kind of stuff. Uh, Weta Studios, you know, big, mm. big, big facility. You're a life. proud New Zealander. I like Absolutely. it. Absolutely, I'm wearing my New yeah. Zealand. Yeah, I like it. I like it. You're, repre- you're, 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 you're representing. You're representing. You're representing. Got the map of New Zealand yeah. on, on the shirt. <laughs> okay. So Underneath here is you, my, uh, you know, your life, your terms shirt. By the way, it's the secondary. It's the secondary thing. But we appreciate. We appreciate that. So you read this book. You buy a property. You sell the property come to Canada but then what you still have the bug well at that point when we came to Canada we were, we were very poor because you know I, I had to hire someone to in, in New Zealand in my business and we literally started from scratch so every cent we had went into the property wow and I didn't have a job when we got here my wife didn't have a job when we got here we just had a house so and you held but you held on to that house when you first came did you so you oh sorry no you sold it before you came the, the, the rental that we had in New Zealand, we, we sold shortly after we came. We sure. sold our, our, our primary house first, uh, but then because I had the mortgage secured over both houses, I couldn't get all my equity out. And my and, and the property, my, our primary house had gone down in value. We'd held it eight years and oh, it went wow. down in value. Wow. So anyone that says the property always goes up yeah. doesn't study history. Canadians don't know this theory. Yeah. No, tell I know. us more. They haven't heard of it. Peter, yeah. tell us yeah. more about this theory. <laughs> That's all right. This heresy. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> what are you discussing right now? Yeah. Yeah. So we actually lost money on this house that we lived in for eight years. Wow. Um, and then so we sold the rental property and we, yeah, I think it had gone up, but just not a lot. I mean, I'm not, I didn't really make any money out sure. of it. So it had gone up a little bit. Um, and so we sold that. That was what we had to do to get our cash you know, eventually out of the country so that we could, you know, make sure we properly, you know, we're in this house here in Markham. Wow. And yeah, we've been living there now for nine years. Okay. And then how do you get, do you uh, get back into the real estate investing game in some capacity? Yeah. So I forget what it was, but it, it was connected with you guys somehow Okay, um, you're on a podcast. Uh, and it, it might have been. A, and you gave us your email address and we stalked yeah, you, you to the end of days. End of days, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it might have been. There's a Lord of the Rings thing. <laughs> financial or something. Um, but I, I heard I heard you guys on their po- on, on someone else's podcast. Okay. And then listened to your podcast and then signed up for the you know, for, for the big event that you held at okay. the end of the year. Yeah. Um, and, and, and like a fool, I paid to attend. 
Oh, great. Thank you very much, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's um, not like a fool. That was a very smart decision. Yes. Um, if I probably made a that phone call, I probably could have got it for free. That was an investment into yourself. Peter. Yes, uh, it was. Absolutely. And then yeah, as soon as I went to that, I said, oh, I'm going to become a member. And, uh, and then I think uh, after the first year, I joined VIP. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. What, if, what a journey. So you what were, a journey, man. Yeah. But you were in real estate in New Zealand and for over an eight-year period, not real much in the way of returns between those two properties. No. So then why, when you came here, did it seem to think like, did, did you think it was a good idea if you didn't really have the success at, with it at that point? Like, what was it there that made it stay in your head and be like, this still makes sense to yeah, me? Yeah, why somehow? bother? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, when, when we lived in Vancouver, we had bought a condo and uh, that had gone up significantly in value. When we lived in New Jersey, we'd bought a property before 9-11 and we left just after 9-11 and that had gone up, you know, quite a lot in value. Okay. So, so you know, and we knew the market at the time here in, in, in Toronto area was great growing well as well. So, Got it. Okay. So, so, so we, knew, we knew that our experience wasn't necessarily normative. Um, you know, it just was what it was for that season. And, you know, I, I, I firmly believe that you have to look at real estate as a long-term play. Mm. You can't look at it and go, oh, the market's down. Should I sell? It's like you're going to you're going to cut your your feet off and you'll and you'll never survive if that's the mindset you have. You have to look at it long term. So the fact that a market's up or down, or even if you don't actually make money on the growth of the property, you've still made money. Ultimately, you because know. you're talking about the debt being paid down. Yeah, what are you talking? You yeah. Debt pay, if you say not long enough, you're getting debt paid down. You know, you, yes, you eventually will. You should have some money. tax efficiencies, I would imagine, that you yeah. could benefit from. Yeah. Okay. Well, New Zealand is great too because it has no capital gains tax. Really? Huh. Still? Still. Don't know how long that'll last, but they still. Yeah, have most it. countries are looking at that. Like yeah. They're trying to get rid they've of that. Put, in, some they've put in a land capital gains tax, but only if you sell within certain periods of time. So right now it's up to 10 years before it used to be two and then five and now it's 10. 10 years. Yeah, so if you hold it for more than 10 years, there's no, there's no cap. There's so, no cap. so then you've seen all these different parts of the world. You come here. Did you decide on a certain property type and um, why did you make that decision? Mm. So listening to you guys um, decided that student rentals looked like a really good idea. Okay. Uh, I love the fact that you can generally get a little more on student rentals than you can if you just rent the house out. And you get a regular turnover of tenants. So you're not stuck with one tenant that's been there for 10 years. And, and now the, the rent is way below market rent. I remember we, I went and looked at one house uh, you know, last year, early last year um, out in the Colburn area or something. And this woman was complaining you know, that, that uh, you know, she, she was paying, you know, that she wouldn't be able to find another place. And she was paying like $550 yeah. a month in rent for a two-bedroom apartment. And I'm like, okay, no one's going to buy this property with you in it, lady. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only people that can afford to buy this property are people who want to move in for themselves. Because no investor like me is going to want to take that deficit. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's with a someone. Shame. Yeah. It's a shame, but yeah, yeah. When we reality. started with student rent, like we didn't have, we hadn't been investing long enough to think of that as one of the benefits. So we never really looked at that as a benefit. No, but it, it is. turned out more, to be a more and more yeah. people that have you know got into into student properties have said that's one of the reasons because yeah. the, the the you know it's usually every two to three years where yes. people will turn over and then you can kind of reset rents at that point. The longest we've had is maybe four years. Mm -hmm. Maybe we had a group maybe, once five. Yeah, because we've had some people that stay like a couple extra people will stay year, a little yeah. bit extra and then they they'll, they'll backfill they'll yeah. backfill the but, property. Yeah, but sometimes it's else. two years and you're. 
changing out a group. Yeah, yeah well, I've sometimes got, I've got it's a group one right now. Yeah, you know, the last couple of it I mean, been one year, one year each. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, that happens. You just don't know. What yeah. what school are you close to? So I'm in Peterborough. And, okay, got and it. The reason I chose Peterborough was because I'm on I'm in Markham, so I'm on the east side of the GTA. Got if it. I was investing out in the west quadrant, you know, in, sure. in London or, or anywhere like that, or in Niagara, you know, trying to cross town. You know, oh, get gosh, there, especially it's just now. A so what's that trend? In one hour. Are you Trent, close to Trent? Trent and Fleming College. Okay. Okay, got it. Two great schools yeah. in the community. Yes, and there's student rental opportunity around. Oh, they're starving. They are starving yeah. for rental. So it's it's pretty much like everywhere. I've yeah. seen them build, and because up in that area, I've been through a couple of times, and they've been building new units, but there's still need. There's still more demand yeah. out there too. Yeah, it's just everywhere. And then is it a condo, a house? What, what did you buy out there for students? So I've got two standalone houses and one half of a duplex. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And uh, do you mind me asking just roughly what are the rents right now? Either what you see as market rent or what you're going, it doesn't matter. Just paint me a ballpark so I have an idea. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the re- rents are going up yeah. you know, like you see everywhere. Yeah. Yes. Uh, right now, um, sort of 700 is sort of about the norm. Okay. So you can get you can get more than 700 God. if you've got a nice modern, especially with, with private bathrooms. Um, or you might be down at, say, 650. Depend if you got a, like like I've got some of the uh, two of mine are older homes, sure so limited bathroom capacity, so you can't charge premium mm-hmm. rates. So mm-hmm. you know six fifty is sort of what I'm what I'm getting on those properties, and then I've got a newer property um, that's the the half the duplex. Okay, it's, it's more, much more of a single family home, um, but I I was able to let that just now for seven hundred a month. Oh per wow, room, per room, wow, that's a- and you're getting one year leases out there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So same same type of thing. May May first, like when when does the lease typically start? Yeah, May one. You want May to get 1st, everybody yeah. in on, on yeah. the first of the May. weirdest That's thing when is the residence is empty out, and so you want people want that commitment. Yeah, with student rentals, the the nice thing is the one year lease. The only place I struggled to get that was at York University, and the only thing I could figure out was the student body there was so transient, and that there was always people in coming and going. There was always turnover of programs, whereas it, and it's because it was a local Toronto school. Mm-hmm. I think you had people why. kind of coming in and leaving, going home, coming back. Yes, whereas yep. you had these places, they were kind of just going there. They knew they were going to be there for a certain amount of years they wanted to leave their stuff there it wasn't that big of a deal yeah the university towns almost were a little bit different like you said a part of it is is over the summer it's almost a storage unit for them yeah but the difference is at york the rents uh already like that was 10 years ago we were renting out the top one which was our biggest room that was like at 850 so like back then the rents were really high Mm -hmm. on on some of them so at western right now my son is paying 650 for his but his is a bit of a beat down property um but some of the other ones, I don't know if you've heard us say, Peter, is that uh, rented out $1,100 a room. Really nice, redone. Every bedroom has its own ensuite bathroom attached. So, you know, really kind of, I would call it high-end student rental living. So that's not the norm. But still, $1,100. But $1,100. I mean, when we started doing this, I think it was like three twenty-five or three forty comes to mind, a room. Three forty. dollars yeah. so, yeah, I was say three fifty, but somewhere mid-300 range for yeah. sure. Yep. Yeah. And then how have you, because a lot of people are petrified of student rentals. How has the journey been so far? So I've had one... I wouldn't call it a nightmare, but one bad experience. Generally speaking, the kids are fantastic. I mean, all the guys and girls I've got in my places are wonderful kids. I've never really had major problems. Um, the first, the first group of tenants I had on my first property left really badly, and uh, you know they left the place with stuff in it. They left it a mess. I ended up having to you know get a dumpster in and, and you know sort of throw stuff out, uh, and then and then the place was so disgusting. That's when you want to sell. 
Yeah, and and, and I ended up basically having to give the, the new tenants coming in a massive discount on that first month because you know there was a cockroach infestation mm-hmm. uh, that they hadn't. No one had told me about. Jeez. You know, it's like you make that phone call to me, and I'm on the phone within an hour sure. to, to get the place fumigated within a few days, kind of thing. But you know, like this, and it was it was it was bad. And I felt so bad for these kids coming in. You're going to hit that event. Yeah. And, and you're going to yeah, hit that eventually, but you just hit it right with that one. looks yeah, like right yeah. out of the gates. Yeah, but so if you took care of it, I mean, it, most of the times I find with those groups, if they've had experience, especially if they've had other siblings, they almost are walking into that May 1 date knowing they're walking into a bit of a disaster. Yeah. And the biggest thing has been what I've found as long as you're responsive during those times, it's like. It's no problem because I think a lot, a good percentage of landlords in, in with student properties are not responsive at all. And they just let that stuff sit there and then it becomes a problem. But yeah. someone like you, if you're handling that stuff and, and you're being fair to them and giving a discount, we've done stuff like that before. And, you know, and oh, yeah. it is, then it smooths it over for like the longer term and you can, you, you can rebuild that relationship and have them there for a couple of years and it works out for we, everyone. Right? We had a situation like that, Peter, and we didn't know either. And we had a property manager to get the new group in. So like on changeover day, you know, one group's leaving. It's a bit of a, it's chaos. This is a by McMaster. One group's leaving, another group's coming in and we hired a property manager because we're like, okay, we don't have it. We can't handle this anymore. We will find the new group of tenants because we were really good at signing on new groups of tenants, but we can't be there for all this stuff. Hire a property manager. My phone rings. We're having like a team meeting here at Rockstar. The property manager, I guess, has their junior property management assistant or something there. She, she just says, okay, I'm going to put you on speakerphone. Immediately, I know that I'm in for it. Like whatever's happening next, I know it's it's trouble. I got, I hear a speakerphone because I know it's changeover day, right? Uh, I'm on speakerphone and there's like three or four moms just start yelling, just yelling at me into the phone. Like I'll just never forget this and I had to just tell everyone hey listen calm down we didn't know the house was left as dirty as you're saying we've hired we hired a property manager I kind of wish the property manager told you we will do absolutely everything to fix every single problem please just make us a list and we're on it instead of just attacking me over the phone like this God knows what they were told by the property manager they probably said well we don't you know probably we cited some policies or something oh my gosh we had we had one mom who was completely out of control completely out of control like hysteria we went to the point where in the basement Nick I don't know if you remember there was a small water leak we took that so seriously we renovated the entire basement and waterproofed the outside of the house do you do you remember this no yeah we did a full renovation in the basement and waterproofed the the the, the side of the house and it was way overkill like going above and beyond to make sure everything was right uh, um, we do I mean uh, to be clear because I had we wouldn't have done that just to appease this person. If the, maybe, well, no, it, was maybe it needed to be done or something. Yeah, it was, it well, was, I just yeah. want to set the stage. I'm like, we're not yeah. going to be like, someone complains about a little bit of water and we're going to be like, okay, we'll renovate the whole basement. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? But uh, um, so... Um, yeah, so we, you know, we always kind of take care of things. We do, we do that with the house, and uh, I think the student rentals. As long as you're respecting the students, they kind of respect the the the, the house. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of been our experience over the years. So what I look for when I'm looking at the students is, is I'm, I'm looking to see a group of friends. That was the mistake I had with this first group that came in. They were a bit late in the process, and so it was like, well, they were the only people on my list, and so I just said yes. And um, and they didn't know each other. And and yeah, some of them knew each other, but they weren't really a group of friends. So now I actually interview. So this last round, I was I had some, we've got some guys moving out at the end of this month, and so I'm looking for a new new group to move in. And so I actually said I'm going to do a Zoom interview with you all. If you want the place, I'm doing a Zoom interview. I would like to meet everyone on that Zoom call. 
That's the way to do it. Always yeah. worked out for us with groups of yeah. people who know each other. And, and this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking to see, are you guys friends? Are you yeah. are you bouncing is, off each other? Yeah. Or are you like, you know, like, well, yeah, I, I know this guy from school, but that's it. So no, I'm looking, I'm looking for friends. It's the best way to oh, go. Yeah. Yeah. Change it. Yeah. Because they, they then own the prop the, 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 the residence. They own yeah. that that property. They don't want it to be, you know, it's not like, well, you're just a roommate. It's like, no, no, we're we're, we're yeah. family. That's what I want them to be. I want them to feel like a family, that, not just subtenants. That's how we've seen people then they live in the property and like the common areas of the property, they use them and there's like a Christmas tree. And, you know, they, they decorate and they do things and there's like, you can, they, they bring in furniture. You can see that they hang out in those areas versus everyone's just, you know, sneaking away to their room and they just kind of live completely separate lives. And it changes the whole dynamic of the property. Absolutely. It's kept better. Everything's yeah. better about it. They so, put all the empty vodka bottles in the recycle boxes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So when, when, when I look at a place to buy too, I, I'm, you know, I know that the trend is to build these new, you know, uh, modern uh, student rentals with no living space. But I don't like that because I want them to feel like it's home. I want them to have a shared sense of ownership. Yeah, it's a nice way. And so to have a small lounge, doesn't have to be big, but just a place where you can have a sofa and a TV and you can have some friends over and play some cards or whatever, you know, and a dining, a dinner table where you can sit down and eat a couple of people together, whether that's just in the kitchen or whether that's in a separate room, you know, whatever, or an open plan kitchen. I think that makes the place feel different. If everything is just about my room, well, that's what they're going to see the property as. It's just the, it's just my room. Totally. I want them to feel like this is my home and own it. We've always enjoyed that. We call it a common area. You're calling yeah. it a lounge. We've always believed in having a nice common area in all yeah. of the student rentals. You're giving me some, a f- some people are scared of that because they, they say they think, and we haven't had this experience, but they think with that there, that house is going to be used as a party house because of that. And we've never really encountered it. It goes back to- I mean, we've had parties at our houses, but I mean, it hasn't been an issue. Yeah. So we've never, that's never become a big, you know, kind of point of concern for us yeah. we with the benefits in our experience far like mm-hmm. you're saying they're far outweighed any downfalls for yeah. sure yeah. i remember showing a group um nick this is the one property that uh, is close to mac there that one group i remember walking them through the house it was a group of guys that were friends and they were talking about the parties that they were going to have and that didn't serve them well because when you're trying to find a new group if the first thing you're hearing about are like the big parties they're going to have i remember saying no to them yes. and I, I i bet they didn't know why but it's because they were right behind me talking about all the great parties they were going to have in the house but we did have a group of guys once that was really messy we've had girls that have been messy one group of guys i remember there was like a a thing of ketchup or plum sauce or something tipped over in the fridge and he let it all leak out and it leaked out of the fridge onto the floor and there was a pool on the floor and i remember and then in the corner of the kitchen i don't know if you remember there's like 10 pizza boxes and i remember thinking like are you gonna like how are you living like this this is just disgusting so we have had some people but in general clean houses kept nice it's been fantastic one group did build a mountain bike course in our backyard and we had to tell them to assemble it like take that down, remember? Yeah, I had ramps and everything. We were worried a little about liability. We're like, if they fall off this yeah. and someone breaks something, that's not because well, off one of the, us well. off one of the patios, there was a drop. Yeah, they were had yeah. some yeah. some stuff. And then in another student rental property, I did have a bed bug problem once that Nick didn't have to deal with. I had to deal with this particular problem, and that was kind of gross because all the students were back home. They were actually foreign students, so they weren't in the country. So I had to go in the house myself. Um, got exterminators. They couldn't figure out the pro- they couldn't kill the bed bugs. So then I had to go in and throw out all the clothes, these students' clothes, and, and you know, there's bed bugs in, have you dealt with bed bugs? No. It's nasty. I know. Good it's enough. just nasty. And then uh, we ended up getting some white powder from the States that you can sprinkle along the baseboards of the house and stuff, and it worked. 
Like that was better than the Toronto-based exterminator that we got to come out. You but they had to like heat the house up. It was a disaster. You don't and I threw out their you... clothes without asking them questions too, which you should never do. Because I just reported to them. I'm like, hey, I had to throw out your clothes. And they had some nice clothes, like really nice Jordan apparel and stuff like that. Threw it all in the garbage. I had to. It was disgusting. Yeah. You don't hear as much about bed bugs. There was a while in the Toronto area that there was bed bugs bed were bed everywhere. Stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you just don't hear about it as much, or it's because it's like old news, or if it's just not as prevalent. But there was a period of time where it was. I felt like it was just a much bigger issue. But I don't know. We even heard it. I know. I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't heard, heard anyone it. talk about them recently, like no. at all. And then Peter, you're using one lease. I'd imagine everybody's on one yeah, lease. Yeah, get everyone on one lease. Okay. And then when you were showing to find these new groups of students. Um, what time of the year by those schools are you advertising for the new groups? Well, I would advertise as soon as I'm told that a group's moving out. So when would that I be? Your, so I, I want January. So you're checking in with them late November, December to try to figure out if I you're coming back? I usually check in with them early January. Okay, early to, January. To say, hey, okay, your lease is, you know, your, your 12 months is coming up. What are your intentions? Of course, they're allowed to stay. You can't, you can't, sure. you know, the, yeah. you can't kick them out. But, you know, if they say, no, look, we're moving on, like like one of mine did, um, then like that that night, I'm like on um, placesforstudents.com and listing the property. Uh, and, you know, you get inquiries sometimes within half an hour. And then how many weeks are you? does it take for you to find a new group? Uh, it can be, it depends on, on the time of year. Um, you know, that, that January, February is sort of prime searching season. Okay. So, you know, you'll, if you're listing in, in January or February, you'll get you know, lots of responses. If you list later than that, you're getting desperate people mm-hmm. because they haven't been able to find a place. And then the mismatch groups come together. Yeah, then you get people who are, yeah, because I'm, I'm doing six bedroom houses. So, you know, or five bedroom houses. So what you end up with is you end up with, well, I've got four, but, you know, well, I have to go and find a fifth or a sixth. And, you know, where it's, so it's not quite as good. You get in early, you get those groups that have made that intention to live together and you know you you get you they're looking for a five bedroom or a six bedroom mm-hmm. house to live so yeah it didn't take long at all in fact when i so i had one property i bought two years ago and uh we, and the, the guys this was the, the first lot of tenants that weren't so good and uh so i they told me they were they were moving out and i knew they'd only be there for one year when i when i left the place and so i started um searching in sort of late january and i had i think about 15 groups of people respond to the ad. I didn't, I followed all your instructions. I had an open day. I had them lying outside in the Did freezing you? cold. <laughs> and of course, COVID protocols, shoes off at the door, masks on, you know, bring your group through. I mean, they were literally lining up down the street. I think we had about eight groups come through in the space of, you know, an hour and a half. Okay. Good and for so you. out of those eight, you're like, well, look at that, man, there is such demand. So I picked, and actually, you know, the hardest thing was choosing which group to offer it to because three of them were like, here's our paperwork. Like on the, on the same day, here's our paperwork. And others will say, well, yeah, we're really interested. It's yeah. crazy. Isn't it crazy? And then you feel bad. Then you feel bad. Then you feel bad. Yeah. How do you yeah. choose? How do you choose of all these groups? Yeah, because some of them, like when they, in the past, when we've told people they didn't get it. Oh, you, you feel know, like they're, they're they seem like just a really good group of kids. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, but these guys spoke up first. So we'll just go with these guys because we don't know how to make it perfectly fair. You know, like it's and just. sometimes some groups uh, come up faster with the money. Yeah. So you're like, hey, listen, you know, they were, they're already committing with the first and last. You're, you're t- telling me it's going to take a few days. I need to kind of do this. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. So I, I like the ones that act quickly. You know, now what I do is I make sure that I, I you know, I say, okay, well, you know, if, if everyone, I'm going to give you till this date, yeah, you know, like two days, and then we'll do Zoom interviews. And then mm-hmm. after that, I'll make my decision. 
Wow, uh, look very at quick. you with the Zoom interviews. Yeah. See, we didn't... A week when and we a half. Were, by the time I had the showing to the time I made my decision wow. was a week and a half. Nick and I were doing this in our 20s still. We didn't know what we were doing. And we were smart enough to figure out how to get everyone there at the same time to build up the demand. But then we would just tell them, listen, whoever shows up with the money first is going to get this property. Like, we didn't think enough to do another round of interviews or something. And we would have people literally running to bank machines, yes. you know, or calling parents, trying to raise money and come back to show us the money but uh that's what we had people doing like literally leave now and whoever shows up first with the money you get the house i'm not saying that's the best way to do it but that's actually what well, we did we but, were, but we didn't know like we were clueless at the time and we didn't want to come back we were filling yeah. the property always in one showing so we're like why do we come back we'll just make them do this now yeah. and then it's all done and yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of wrapped up yeah and they and they come ready i mean they they, now, they, they, they know that if mm. they don't take action quickly they will not get the places. Yeah, so yeah. few houses, especially at that six bedroom level, yeah, in the in the community in Peterborough, that they know that they have to jump on it if they want one. Otherwise, then they got to work out. Well, who do we like the least? Yeah. You guys yeah. have to go and find your own place, mm -hmm. and we'll go and get a four bedroom. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more of those. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, that's just, it creates problems. Yeah. I think so, when so you try to explain it to parents who are they have their kids in first year of university somewhere, and it'll be November, December, and I'll be telling them, oh my gosh, like, has your son or daughter started looking for their year two house they outside of residence? Busy. And like, no, we were going to deal with that later. I'm like, oh my gosh, no, you got to, you have to go now. Like, you're almost too late. You got to go now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to put the fear of God we've, into them. We've rented ours before in, this was like, the kids that were in there were leaving. We've rented it in November. So end of November, we, we've rented it. We've rented in December multiple times and end of November is the earliest for the following May. And what we Get found- it with, And so then we're getting last month's rent, like a year yeah. and a half in advance. And what we found is some of the more, and even then, then into January, but we find that if you're on it early, like you've suggested, the, um, the more proactive groups- which is typically a sign from the 10 groups that you might want. They're a little more proactive, more organized. Yes. So, you know, that's just, they kind of got things together. You might want those people in the house. It's a good time to be, if you're on it as a landlord, you generally attract those ones because those are the ones looking a little bit earlier because they've been through the process. Maybe they have an older brother or sister or someone that's gone through it before and they know that they got to be honest that they got on it early. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then insurance. Have you had any issues getting the student rental insurance or you managed to get that okay? So I've got an insurance broker that is okay with, with student rental. Okay, good. So that's, that's been fine. Yeah, it's, great. It's, it's actually more the mortgage. Sure. A lot I of yeah. don't yeah. want, they don't want a student rental. Like I've got a, bro a friend who is a mortgage broker and she says, don't even come to me with student rentals. Yeah. They're yeah. just so hard to do. Mm -hmm. You know, and you sort of have to not say certain things mm -hmm. and you know to, and and the mortgage broker was like okay well we we want you know we want the, we want the last tenants out before the inspector you know, the 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 valuation guy comes over and if it looks like a student rental if he writes that on the form you might not get mm -hmm. the, the loan or you'll get it but it's going to be more expensive yeah we've and heard want that more too. money down so yeah so it, it's a case of you know you want it to look like a single family home i'm surprised yeah. so you're you're right I, I i we get that i'm just surprised that it's they take that approach because if they were able to zoom out a little bit and if they ran their numbers i'm curious what percent of the properties were severely damaged when they had to take them back or you know like how the actuaries running the numbers yeah the risk analysis on, on this seems wrong it seems wrong to me too because typically with student properties there's rent payments so unless the landlord's doing you know it's not usually a problem people covering mortgages at least from the rents the landlords could be doing whatever they want with the and they can demand different. the proper insurance they can get the proper insurance and then the properties are there there's 
demand for them. There's, you know, they don't, the ones that I've seen, like with, we've seen a lot of investors do student properties and yeah, there's those things come up where the things have, you know, been a bit dirty or there's a bunch of stuff left in it. But overall the, the properties, we've never really encountered one where it's like just destroy, like, you know, there's, there's a hundred thousand dollars of work and the bank's going to have to no. take care of that. There's not, none of that type of stuff. The biggest thing it's is there's been some, it's really, is when the people leave, it has got to be cleaned and it, cause it looks pretty dirty and it looks grimy, but then once you get it cleaned, you're like, Oh, okay, it's a good house again. So it's other than, you know, $500 in cleaning. And the income, as far as a rental goes to your point earlier, Peter, the income is higher than a regular rental property. So the revenue being genera- generated on this thing, like if you're talking at the low end 650, if anyone can do the math on five bedrooms, six bedrooms, if you get a seven bedroom house, the, the numbers kind of work on it. I'm yeah. guessing, I'm guessing they're just looking at, um, if they don't have complete insight to it, they must just be looking. The tenant profile is more transient because they're they're turning over more frequently, and to the, so ba- that the is banks more risk on their risk the bank analysis. size. They just see it as there's not going to be a stable tenant. But I mean that that's that because I remember it was rental uh, on one of my declared student rentals TD uh, when I went to refinance. It just said no. They said we don't do student rentals, and I'm like, well, you have the financing on the place right now. It's a declared student rental, and they're like, yeah, but we just changed our mind, and we're no longer going to refinance it, and that was a pain. And then we've had insurance companies before just send us letters saying our auditors are saying we're not insuring these anymore. Remember? Mm-hmm. I think they gave us like 90 days. 90 days, find you insurance, be gone. Wow. So you deal with these things. But again, the upside on this stuff too is the properties tend to be in areas that are good areas, by schools and universities. They get the appreciation because they're tied not, even though the income's good, they're tied to the residential real estate market in Canada and the residential real estate market isn't in student rental and it's not tied to the income on the property. It's tied to just all the residential homes. So you kind of get the ride of the residential real estate, not just like a cap rate on the property. Yeah. I, I look at it as, as less risk than a regular single family home rental. And you're saying that because of the multiple people paying the rent? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got six subtenants, if you will. Um, yeah, so if one of them goes down, it's not like I've lost the entire rent, okay? And I make it very clear to the tenants, you're all equally responsible. Mm-hmm. If one of you can't pay, don't come to me. Yeah, you're signing a lease a for this amount. That's right, you yeah. guys have to make it work together. So that puts a lot of peer pressure on them. Okay. Whereas if you have a single family home and they, you know, look, unfortunately they, they lose a job or, or have a medical crisis, what do they do? Well, they expect the landlord to subsidize their lifestyle. Okay. Well, I make it very clear to the kids, you know, I get parental guarantees. If they're, if they're offshore, if they haven't got parental guarantees, I look, I ask for payslips. Just prove to me you've got an income. You can afford this place. Okay. And it's not expensive, you know, less than 700 bucks a month, but I want to make sure they can afford the place. Sure. There's no point in doing credit checks on these kids because most of them have barely had a credit. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I don't worry but about But we've had checks. good success, a very limited, uh, almost rounding to zero issue on bounced rent, bounced check. I'm talking in like an past, old person now, yeah. bounced checks. I don't yes. think you use that. Well, a lot of anymore. the checks, the majority of them were in the parents' names anyways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. like, there were like doctor, it would be doctor, whoever that's writing the check. You know, you know, very few parents are going to bounce rent checks on their kids. I mean, some might do it to teach them a lesson. You never know, but, but you know, it's, yeah, exactly. it's, yeah. it's very few. So you did this, so you got into that market initially and then you had one property because you thought the numbers were on them would be a little bit better. And then because you saw the demand for that property, that's why you bought the others. I rang my coach and I said, find me new houses now. I know there is so much demand. And the crazy thing was, so we started looking right away and we didn't have much luck the first few weeks. Then we found, you know, ultimately two properties at the same time. Now that was a mistake. <laughs> Getting finance on two properties Disaster. at once. I didn't realize how much of an issue that would be. Um, but we, we ended up with two properties at once. And I went, then went back as soon as I had a signed contract. It wasn't even unconditional yet. 
Okay, I went back to those the, the, the two groups that I had interviewed the last time, you know, a month earlier, and I said to them, I've just bought a new property, would you like to, and, and I'm willing to offer it to you as first priority, would you be interested? And they, hadn't and, found- and they hadn't found a place, and they said, yes, please. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, oh wow, good for you. But that's so, story- so, so I, had, I had them tenanted before I even owned them. You know, wow. I, I had I had committed, and you managed to get through the financing. Lucky you, fin- lucky you got the financing, or did be out of luck. Well, that's right. Yeah, I didn't realize <laughs> it, and we and we had because you know everything was was too tight and last minute. You know, we actually didn't close on time, and I had people sitting in, in you know U-Haul trucks outside trying to move in, and I couldn't. We couldn't get them to move in because the you know the the, the finance company had screwed us over, and it wasn't ready on that day. And yeah, it was it was a bit of a nightmare. But that's how you learn. You bit off a lot, and then you chew. chew oh like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was bitten that like bristle cr- for a long time. Yeah, you chew like crazy <laughs> on that stuff. But most yeah. people, I find, when they're doing something, that's how you learn. You yeah. kind of have to bite off a lot, and then you learn. If you know of all the problems with financing, buying two properties at the same time in advance, you just never do it. Instead, yeah. you just did it because you're you were a bit naive in that area, and it helps right. you. Yeah. So the accountant in you, what what do you like most about rental real estate right now from an account, you know, just from an accounting perspective with someone's personal finances? Is it the owning of the asset? Is it is it an income stream that you're controlling? Is it some of the tax stuff that you perhaps can use? Is there a component that really appeals to you most? It's it's all of those things in combination. So ultimately long term, it's about that that uh, passive capital growth. Okay, the the rental stream on the income is positive. I wouldn't buy a property that wasn't going to be positive cash flow. Just doesn't make any sense. It's that expectation that even if it's only a small amount a year, you you are beating inflation. You know, as as you guys say, a mortgage is a hedge against currency. And right now, I'm I'm quite happy to to be in debt because I know that my properties, you know, long term, are going to increase in value, and my debt is going to get paid off by my tenants. So, you know, no matter what, even if I just sit around and just make no money on, 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 the, on these properties for the next 15 years, I will be a millionaire. That's it. I'll be, you know, in 20 years or whatever, I'll be a millionaire just because I've got three properties. So it's the slow, not sexy approach. Yep, absolutely. Slow, not sexy. And it sounds like just hearing you describe it's giving you some comfort. Yeah, absolutely. You know, look, I've got four kids and they are not going to be able to afford property. <clears throat> themselves and at least not in Toronto and so part of my strategy I, I, I still need to get one more property part of the strategy is to be able to say maybe when you guys need to buy a property I might sell one of these liquidate some of that cash and now maybe I can help you into a property now don't tell them that I like well you're hedging you're saying maybe and might <laughs> maybe and might that's right. <laughs> or so, borrow against it or borrow against have, it that's right uh, yeah. have it Pay down again yeah. without you having to pay it. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, again, that's just part of my thinking. I'm thinking long term. This is my retirement plan. Mm-hmm. You know, most Canadians, their retirement plan is their house, which which is adequate. But, you know, again, you can't guarantee anything. Or if you're like me, you get a small business, you think that your small business is your retirement plan. Most small business owners get nothing out of their small business. It's a shame, when they but stop it's working. true. Yeah. Okay. So you can't assume that your, that your business will actually be saleable. So, you know, I've got three feathers in my bow. I've got the property that we own. I've got a business that I own, two businesses. And I've got an, a, now a growing real estate portfolio. Good for you, Peter. And the real estate portfolio will probably be more valuable 
Probably. And, <laughs> yes. and the others in the long Yeah. Run. I'll never forget when our father um, closed his business and there was nothing left. There was no value in the business. He literally just stopped operating it. Yes. And we had to move out of the industrial unit that was close to our family home at the time. And I remember the last day pulling out the last stuff, boxes of drywall screws and some things, taking out and kind of cleaning out the last bit and closing the door. And it, it I just had this um, kind of crazy moment of clarity where I thought, oh my gosh, my dad, you know, work or our father worked all this time to create this business. It's now just gone, yep. closed. But this industrial unit, whoever owns this industrial unit Still has an got asset. the benefit of our father paying rent all these years, working so hard on a construction company, a drywall company to be able to pay the rent. This landlord, the owner of the property got that and he's now just going to put in another business. He doesn't care about our family. He's just going to stick in someone else and collect more rent. And I know like this person obviously took on debt and leverage and had to buy the property. And so good on this person, whoever owned these units to be able to do that. But it just hit me. I'm like, oh my gosh, real estate really has lasting value. Whereas our father's business was really operating, producing cash flow, and then it just went to nothing. And we drive by that unit every time we go to our parents' house still. So Swear at them. It, yeah. it's, it's, Can you imagine the, what it's worth well, that, I know. Well, how many units are in that, that complex? A lot. It's right it's off. It's a fairly yeah. decent size, right off Eastgate Parkway in Mississauga. And um, yeah, there's, you know, and you just see it, and it's still, to this day, I'm like, look, that guy's still just Still there, still property. charging rent. Just just businesses are turning over, yeah, yeah. you know, coming and going. It's great. Yeah. Well, And the, the reality is that most small business owners, when you guys know this intimately, because I've, I've you talk about it but most small business owners have a job they can't quit for which they're not getting paid well that's the reality for most small business owners it's a job they can't quit and they're not getting paid well enough they would actually be better off closing their businesses and going to work for somebody else most small business owners mm -hmm. and and that's such a shame because you're taking on so much risk as a business owner stress and i tell all my clients if you can't make a hundred thousand dollars a year especially here in the gta just go and work for somebody else it's so life is so much easier, and you'll probably make more money and have less stress. They hate you for that when you say it. Yeah, well, they all recognise it. They go, "Yeah, you're right," but of course, and they, they don't want to do that because they think that yeah, they'll one day they'll turn that around. Sure. And so that's why in my accounting practice, I don't do one-off tax returns. Like if you if, if someone you know listening to this says, "Oh, Peter, could you do my T1?" I'm like, "No, sorry, we don't do that." Okay, I only do T1s for my small business clients. Business owners. Sure. So I don't do walk-ins off the street. Um, but what we focus on is we actually focus on trying to build profitable businesses. Because what we know is that this, the, the, the pathway to success in business is about building a, a long-term profitable business where the owner is getting paid what they're worth and retaining profit and then letting the owner not be the essential cog in the wheel of their business. The reason your dad's business went down was that he was the single, the, the most important person. If he couldn't show up to work, no one made any money that day. So, so when, when he has to stop work, there's nothing to sell. He was the business. But if you can turn that around and turn your business into a cash producing machine rather than a job that you can't quit, well, now you've got something to sell. And a business that can produce profit, you know, almost I mean, nothing's guaranteed, but a business that produces consistent profit without the owner being required to show up every day is imminently sellable. People will buy that all over the place and pay a pretty penny for it. So that's what our passion, my passion is, is we want to build profitable businesses. Our mission is to help uh, entrepreneurs build profitable businesses that bless their, their family, their team and their community. That's our, that's our mission. I don't get out of bed to do a tax return. I talk about a tax return like, you know, when you go to a restaurant, 
you know, you walk in, you're not thinking about the bathroom. Yeah, it's a necessary evil. It's a necessary evil. You sit down, you want the conversation, you want the smell, you want the taste and the texture. And sure, you, you are going to have to visit the bathroom. Because if, if you don't, bad things happen. And when, they, when they're nice, it's better. That's right. You can have nice bathrooms. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's what a tax return is to me. If you don't do it, bad things will happen to you. Okay, but it has to be done, and it should be done well. We know many people who don't do it for years <laughs> at a time, That's right, yeah. and they're always mystified why their life is miserable yeah. for six months dealing with CRA. And eventually, bad things happen, and then eventually, yeah. bad yeah, things happen. Absolutely. So, so that's that's our philosophy: is that we want to make sure that that our clients are building profitable businesses. Because if they haven't got a business that's paying them well, well, they should just go and get a job because they already have one; they just can't quit. Okay, and, and they want a business that's actually allowing them to be removed from that business because that's how you create an asset rather than just a paid position. It's a true asset. A true what is asset. one of the tips that you like to talk to people? Is it something you were alluding to before we started recording? I forget. Was yeah. there something you were going to mention about profit or something? So there's a philosophy called Profit First, and it's based on a book by Mike Michalowicz. Jeez, everyone loves this book. I've had this yeah. book mentioned to me so many times. Yeah. It just makes me think of my job, my old jars. Yeah. But I think it must be similar. Well, it is. I mean, I, this is the crazy thing. I've, I used to teach a budget course. And in this budget course, I teach grandma's envelope method. You know, you got an envelope for groceries, an envelope for rent, an envelope for this, an envelope for that, envelope for holidays, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you get your salary and you, you just break it out and you just put money in the envelope. And that's how grandma used to run the household, right? Well, you know, I was working with clients and, and, and giving them, you know, what Mike McCallowitz calls, calls uh, crap gap. Gap, G-A-A-P, is generally accepted accounting principles. And he says it's crap gap. Okay, because what we're teaching our clients, accountants, we're taught like this, is that your profit is what comes out at the bottom. It falls out of your operations, a little bit like, you know, going to that bathroom. Okay, profit is the last thing you think about. And what he says is turn it around the other way. Think about profit first. Pay yourself first and then organize your business around that as your reality rather than that as your result. It's a brain shift. So what mar what percentage would you use? Is, uh, is there a range for business owners of different types? Or what percentage would you tell business owners to save first? Yeah. So it, it depends on the type of business. Yeah. I could, it's a, it's it, the generic it was, number. Yeah. 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 So 5%. 5% of um, what we call real revenue. So, so real revenue is not your top line sales. That's fiction. Top line sales are fiction. Damn, is it? It is. I like looking at that number, though. It's a fun number to it's look not, at. It's not about what you what yeah, you Come on, what Peter. You make, it's a fun it's number. Keep. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's a fun, it's a fun number. So in, in profit first language, we're taught to look at what's called real revenue. So, so in accounting language, you might talk about gross profit. So you might sell a million dollars, but the stuff you sell costs you $400,000 to buy. Your gross profit is 600000 Well, that's your real revenue. Mm -hmm. Even that's not a real number. No, it's not. No. But, but, that's, but that's the number now you've now, now got. Now I'm getting sad. Work, now right? I'm getting sad. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, keep now going. you've got to pay staff. Yeah. You've got to rent your facilities yeah. and you've got to yeah. pay the power. Well, everything, and, yeah. yeah. Paper, that pens. So, yeah. so that real revenue number is the number we focus on because that's what you get to control. You, don't, you, you get some control over your, over your margins, but that's the money you get to use. Okay, so 5% of real revenue is generally the ideal target for, for your profit allocation. Okay. So every uh, every time you get paid, so you, you work on a rhythm, you maybe do it twice a, uh, twice a month. That's maybe more than fair. 5% seems more than yeah. fair. And this is not paid to the owner. This is actually profit retention mm -hmm. in the business. 
Okay, so for every dollar of real revenue you bring in, you're going to take five cents and put it in a separate bank account. So the practical implication of that is you'll get your clients to open another bank account? Oh, my clients open at least seven. I will fight with people about this point. I will literally argue with people. You know why? I tell them to do this in their personal lives too. And you know what they'll tell me? Tom, I don't want to pay the extra fees. And I would like, would you stop? If, if you tell me that again, I'm going to take these papers and I'm just going to throw them at you. Yes. Because stop talking to me like that. And then if I convince them to go to the banks, then the bank will convince them not to do it Absolutely. because of the minimum fees they need. I'm like, you're thinking like a poor person. Yes. The people who make and save money don't concern themselves with such minutia here. No. Open the freaking bank accounts. Yeah. So you get people to do it. Yep. Good for you. So most of the time we say, listen, you're going to pay more in fees, but you're going to be more profitable. So what would you rather have? Lower bank fees or more profit? Well, it's a no brainer, right? I'd rather have more profit. Okay. So yeah, so so paying bank fees is, is a challenge to manage. Um, I'll give everyone a free hint here. I'm not paid to say this, but Bank of Montreal is my go-to bank. Why? Because they have an account called the e-business account. Zero monthly fees on a their business is, checking account. The, the only problem with the Bank of Montreal is their name is also um, similar to the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, so well, because look, of that association, it's difficult for me. But okay, I guess if you want to save some fees. We'll just say BMO then. BMO, okay, BMO. BMO, okay. BMO. I like that yeah. better. Yeah, so, so they have an e-business account. <laughs> and so you can have savings accounts, but you can also have a free transactional account. Um, deposits are free, like electronic deposits are free. Uh, you know, you only pay if you use a teller. Okay. They also have one of the best online banking for business suites on the market. Now, hmm. it's still a bit kludgy. It's still really okay. more designed. Why? What, it, what is it that you like about that? Well, so one of the things they have is you can, do, uh, you can create templates. And I love their template functionality for doing transfers because in Profit First, we're moving money between accounts a lot. Sure. Okay. Um, and so you can create a template. And then you just bring up that template and it says, I'm moving from the income account to the uh, operating expense account. I'm moving from income to profit, income to owner's pay, income to, to GST, income to income tax, etc. And so on one page, you just go, here are the numbers I'm moving. And I give my clients a spreadsheet. So oh, that's they nice. They put in their income okay, number, that's pretty and good. it spits out the, num the, 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 the amounts to transfer. Okay. They take that and just put this into this template and hit go. No way. And it just does all of it in a matter of, se of a second. Huh, I don't think TD has that, Nick. Do you think so? They, they do oh, have a more advanced version. I just don't know whether it does all these these templates. On, on their, okay. On, their, if on the small business side, their interface is like a little bit more, a little bit modern. Mm -hmm. On the commercial banking side, is it's from nineteen ninety seven. It's a little more industrial, mm, yeah. yeah. Oh, and and BMO's is the same. It's a little more industrial looking. And we it's have to use it's very kind of you. The words you're calls. using are very nice. Yeah, they look just old and crappy <laughs> to me. Yeah, I was yeah. on the phone with some supporters because for one of the, the things we have here, we still have one Windows computer, and we have to use Internet Explorer. We have to use actually they got rid of Internet Explorer, so we have to use Microsoft Edge in Internet Explorer mode to be able to access this one functionality on the TD side. Really? But I'm, I'm talking to these guys. I'm like, guys, like it's a, it's like, literally a this? crime at this point. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and even their support's like, oh, well, you know, we're told it's coming. But I got to admit me that for two years. No, but I, but know, I got to admit the TD web interface for just small business stuff in general. Yeah, and for the, the, app, the commercial side and the small stuff business is really, is not bad. It's oh, yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. It's good. I use TD and, and Bank of Montreal. Yeah. So TD is my secondary bank. Got it. BMO is my primary bank. Hmm. Don't tell TD. Okay. They think I'm still this. Okay, so you take 5%. Yep, so you take 5%, you put it into the profit account, you take an amount of money for owner's pay, you put that into another account, you take your GST money, mm -hmm. put that into a separate account. 
And if you only learn one thing about Profit First, it's take your GST money and put it in a separate account. Oh, the first time I had to pay, G we, when I got our real estate licenses and I didn't understand, I owed this GST. Yep. Um, it's a kill. Oh my gosh, a heart attack. We've seen that happen to a lot of people. Yeah. Where they, they I just spent it all. Yeah. yeah. I just spent it. Yeah. But so, anyway. so Mike, in the book, he talks about um, bank balance uh, mentality. Most business owners run their business by how much money is in their bank account. Mm -hmm. And when you've only got one bucket, you, you feel like you're rich. Oh, I've got all this money in my account. Yeah. Can I afford that new car? Of course I can. Look, I've got all this money in my account. Yeah. But you forget that your, your GST installment is mm -hmm. going to be $25,000. Your, your your income tax bill you haven't even paid yet is another $15,000. Payroll's coming up. Payroll's coming up. Yeah. You know? And so the whole idea of profit first is that it's like the dietary principle of small plates. Separate your money into oh, different it's brilliant. buckets. We so only spend from one bucket at a time. So um, this kind of uh, started with my kids since they were young. I use jars to do it instead of yep. this, you know, because at the beginning it's just literally if they get uh, if they're lucky enough to get some cash from a birthday or something, I tell them you put this much in a jar and this the savings jar this much as you're spending and now you can go spend freely. It doesn't matter to me what you spend on. It's your money to do with as you please. And here's the savings and as that builds up, it's been a really nice strategy. I didn't realize adults need it so much. So now I've been really going around telling a few people that will remain nameless. Here's what you need to do. Yes, go to the bank and using what you're saying in their own personal lives, even if they don't have their own business, just in their own regular life, go and make seven or eight accounts. Yes. We still keep all our accounts. Ours are like insurance, recreation, vacation, um, savings, taxes. Um, I think kids, uh, just like a general kind of kid. We have one. a few, in, in, we've used uh, Tangerine because it's an online bank, so same thing, there's no fees. So we, and we have a number of them we have a number of them up there, and then we just transfer uh, transfer into one account, and then we can split it up that way. It's it's just changed our lives. I think I started that when I was in my twenties, when I just got married. Uh, got married, so I guess right around late twenty nine, right at the end, and uh, we just reverse engineered how much money we spent on each of these things the previous year. Yep. And then we figured, okay, that's how much we need for the future year. So let's just, every time we get paid, take that percentage yep. of the income that comes in. So we get paid. So this is when I was getting paid through a salary. Mm -hmm. Salary would drop into one account. And on payday, Carol would go in and take the percentages that we had in a little spreadsheet and move like, you know, $143 from here over yep. to here. But it literally changed our lives because yep. then when the kids had something to pay for, we would just say, well, what's in the kid's account? You know, if they had to pay for hockey or soccer or something like that. And it was all accounted for. Yeah. It really, and I'm sure we weren't even perfect at it, but it changed changed our lives dramatically. Yeah. I've got a client out in, in BC, and when they started working with me, they were about $75,000 in debt. And they were just doing single bank account, you know, method. and, and, and Single and, bank account method. I've never heard that. Yeah. yeah that's the, and a lot of credits. Of course, a lot of credits like free money, right? Or a big overdraft. It is. It's like free money. Yes. Um, and, and so what we, the first thing we did was we just had them go and open up seven bank accounts. We gave them a formula, and for the next 12 months, they just did this formula and paid for things out of those buckets. I didn't even do much else with them. We just put that simple, I could just call it the mechanics of profit first. Just put the mechanics in place. Well, a year later, their, their line of credit was in funds. They had gone from being $75,000 overdraft in their line of credit to being How happy funds, were they? and they didn't know what they had done differently. Amazing, no? Yeah, absolutely. You know, now the banks take them seriously if they actually want to borrow money. You know, if they have a need for money or to, to, or to refinance, because they've shown that they're not relying on a line of credit to run their business. This is the, one of the biggest mistakes business owners make: is that they run their business relying on their overdraft or their line of credit. If you are relying on your overdraft or your line of credit, you are in debt, 
and that can get pulled with no notice. Mm-hmm. You know, the banks can just decide that we no longer want to accept yes. fifty thousand. We've seen that have, so many have friends have paid off in, in the next. Yeah, three and days. some businesses need it. They're we're chasing receivables and they need lines of credit. But it's yeah. it's. But I, I see what you're saying. Like yeah. if you're living, if you're Always operating in the overdraft. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, cool, Peter. So, um, is there before we, we wrap up anything else that you wanted to talk uh, talk about? Time has passed quickly here. Yes. It's funny you're bringing this up though, because literally tomorrow for one of the Rockstar Minute videos, it's been like six weeks in the making. I haven't got to it. I went to the dollar store and I got jars, and I'm going to make a Rockstar Minute video. The jars are sitting outside here. I'm going to show you before you leave because that just changed my life when I heard this concept for the first time. And I heard it as jars. Yes, like literally, go home, <laughs> get these jars, label the jars. Yep. You know, savings, taxes, as simple as and that's yeah. that. That, as embarrassing as it is to admit, that changed my financial life. Yeah. Because until that moment, any money that had come into my hands, I would just like spend it. I thought it was mine to spend. Well, you had no system. It I had was a system. And the profit first methodology is a very simple system. The hard part of profit first is changing the way you think about your business so that this is now your reality. Mm-hmm. This is the challenge we have with all of our business clients. So we can give them the mechanics, but if they don't change the way they think, they nothing works. And they say, oh, Profit First didn't work for me. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. Profit First will work for you. If it didn't work, it's because you didn't work for Profit First. You didn't change, because that first year or two or three might sound like forever, but you might have to change your standard of living a little bit yep. because you've been spending everything that comes into that primary bank account. Exactly. And when you do profit first or the jars or the grandma's envelope strategy, you have to reduce your standard of living a little bit because you're pre-allocating to these other expenses right. that you need in the future. So if it didn't work, it just means they didn't sacrifice. But anything, whether it comes to anything in life, the long-term, I think you mentioned it, that properties are a long-term thing. Yeah. Anything that is a value requires some long-term thinking and commitment. Yes. Anything. Yes. So if you can just get through it, I would argue that one year, everyone adjusts. For us, when we did it, I think we adjusted within a few months. Yeah. Like this is just, oh, we just have this much money to spend now on, you know, these things instead of a little bit more. It wasn't like that big of a deal at all. Yeah. You kind of adapt really, really quickly. Yeah. The mental shift is that you have to rethink about how you make financial decisions based around how much money have I got to spend rather than how much should I spend. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Well, how much should you spend? You could spend an infinite amount of money. But how much can I spend? Well, that's now limited by how much money you're actually allocating. Yeah. And and you've got to right size your business to fit that. And the discipline that comes from that kind of um, approach is really freeing. Like I, I would think between Nick and myself, Nick is much better at money management than I am just naturally. He's just going to handle things better. I need these little processes mm-hmm. and I would consider myself a little more loosey goosey with kind of managing stuff. But these little processes in my life have really helped me because if I didn't have them, I would be that person. Oh, there's all this money in the bank account. Let's go nuts. I don't know. Let's go buy this, do this. And I, I know it would be silly, but I need these processes and they've, they've really helped change my life. It's also why I like real estate. Because real estate to me is forced savings. Yes. The debt is getting paid down. I can't touch it. I yep. can't press a button and sell it. You know that time where you mentioned the student rental property was left a bit messy and, and, and dirty and stuff? We've had situations like that where either Nick or myself, it's been both of us, yep. at one point is like, sell it, 
sell that property, just get rid of this, this thing is a piece of shit, (laughs) get rid of this property. And then, you know, it's hard to sell, not hard to sell. I just mean, you know, you actually have to list it and get it right to sell. And in that process, you end up cleaning it up and then you're like, oh, I guess it's not that bad. Yeah. You know, we'll keep it. We'll rent it out again. Literally every time I've had that thought, as soon as the property (laughs) junk gets emptied out and it gets a clean. I, then I walk around, I'm like, oh, that's not so bad. Yeah. But it's literally that, it's just the cleaning. It's almost always well, the cleaning. That, that's the crazy thing with when it comes to business as well. Because, you know, when, when people start to think about, oh, maybe I should sell my business. If they go and speak to a, a good broker, the good broker will say, go back and clean the house first. Yeah. Let, let's let's do something with this business so it's more presentable. So, you know, that might take two years. And then once you do that. So they go away and they turn it around and they put systems in like profit first and they're now making a consistent profit. And then they come back and they go, why would I want to sell this? Yeah. yeah. I'm actually making money for the first time in my life. <laughs> I keep and, and I actually don't have to work as hard as I used to yeah. because I'm extricating myself from the business. Um, why would I sell this? Yeah. Especially, actually, I have a few people going through this exact situation in an inflationary environment that we might see in the next few years. Some people are having a difficult time justifying selling a business because they don't know what to do with the cash they're going to get. Because then they have to put it somewhere else that's actually earning the asset to protect what they've earned. So then they end up deciding, you know what, I'm just going to keep the business because the business is producing cash flow and it's like an inflation hedge for me here. Yes. So, uh, Peter, thank you for anything else you wanted to cover before we wrap up today. No, I mean, if you want to check out uh, my business, I'm fueledaccountants.com. And uh, we serve uh, primarily small, you know, family-owned businesses. Um, our specialty is in e-commerce businesses and skilled trades. Although we do a general practice, but that is our specialty. Skilled trades. So plumbers, How did you get into the skilled trade? I don't know how I got into it. It's just that you look back over time and you go, well, you know, where is our biggest concentration? And our biggest concentration was in skilled trades and online e-commerce. and e-commerce businesses. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. And, and partly too, I mean, I've been virtual for, no, for over nine years. So I've just got that affinity with online businesses. And, you know, look, I, I would, I, I'm, not, I'm nowhere near a skilled tradesman. I'm not built for that. I, I have soft hands. But for some reason, I've just, you know, attracted and my, my business partner we've just attracted lots of skilled trade clients all over the, all over the place awesome so yeah lots of lots of you know electricians builders plumbers that kind of stuff peter pleasure getting to know you better thank you for doing this really really appreciate it appreciate you sharing all your story and your journey we can't wait to hear more if you go back to new zealand we're gonna have to go because i just thought not only sheep there's lamb there too no lamb chops lamb is oh, the lamb. Lamb, chop, yeah, yeah, yeah. lamb chops yeah something else we got to go back for butter and lamb chops i mean that's worth it and Sauvignon blanc we're, we're good <laughs> we're good up there peter thank you so much You're thank welcome. you hey everyone hopefully you enjoyed that chat with peter his website again is fuelaccountants.com that's fuelaccountants.com And if you are listening to this and you want to get started in the world of real estate investing, but maybe you're not ready yet, you just want some more information, you can check out some of the information that we are sharing at rockstarinnercircle.com. That includes YouTube videos, PDF reports, digital copies of our books, more podcast episodes like this, blog posts that we have on there. You can get on our weekly email list on that website. It's all available to you at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life your terms.